Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, We're talking on this subject uh, over the next few weeks that we've entitled uh, A Sour Subject. We're going to talk about some sour subjects, maybe some things that we don't often get a chance to talk about on a Sunday, and and maybe we kind of even wonder or question the validity about some of the topics that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, about how they impact the different areas of our life. I I don't know, has anybody had an experience in your life uh, that just didn't sit well with you? You think about some moments, right, that, that whether you were current in the moment or maybe afterwards you, you sat back and you just kind of wonder, man, something was a little off. Something just didn't feel right as we were going through that. A couple of years ago, there was one of the older ladies um, in the church, and she contacts me from time to time by email or, or we have kind of some regular kind of correspondence. And about two years ago, um, I got a, an email that was from her, uh, apparently. Uh, it, it had all the information, and it, it kind of had a little bit of a preamble to it, but was basically asking that, that her niece was uh, in trouble in, in Cleveland, that their car broke down there, and they needed to get her $300. And, and right away, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, that, that's kind of a legit need, and I'm glad that they would reach out to the church. It's kind of strange that, that it would happen in this format and, and how it would take place. And so I called back to the office. I'm like, hey, get so-and-so's email address and make sure, like, here's what, is, is this legit? Or, yeah, not, that's, that's the email address. That's what we have. I'm like, well, it's just so strange that, you know, and, and I was actually on the road while it was happening. And so I'm trying to respond and, and think about this. I'm like, wow, that's such a weird request. Like, not that it maybe couldn't happen, but, but very unusual. And, and so I ended up just calling the lady. I said, hey, this sounds going to sound really weird. And I know that, we're, you know, maybe if the, if the need's legit, like, I, that's fine. We'd, we're, we'd love if we can to help out. I said, but did you just email me and ask for $300? She's like, absolutely not. I would never do that, you know? And I'm just like, you know, I, I kind of thought that way, but all, everything just lined up and it really made sense. But I had this just kind of weird sense in me. How many know kind of what I'm talking about? Like, like this just isn't 100% making me feel good. And I think we've all had some moments. Maybe uh, you've been in a place, right? And you found yourself maybe walking in a location and realizing around your surroundings that you just kind of get a feeling or a sense like, like I don't feel good like being here. Like there's, there's something that, that might be happening or going on. Maybe you get into a conversation and maybe there's a, a shift in, in the way that the conversation goes. And, and all of a sudden you kind of feel a little weird about that. I remember that when I was, uh, when I was young and, and maybe I would get sick, my mom would tell me that I had a sour stomach. Anybody kind of grow up with kind of some of that? You know, there was just like something that, that just wasn't sitting well. And I'm sure that we've all been in situations or circumstances where it just hasn't felt right. But then is kind of the question of like, but, but what do we do about some of those moments that just don't seem to sit right in our life. I think today culture has become so accepting, unfortunately, of certain behaviors that, that we're not often sure about what kind of response do we need to give to some of the, the things that are happening in the culture and the world around us. So you can buckle in for these next couple of weeks because hopefully this series will be for you about how do I respond to some of the, the strange and weird things that happen in life or in culture or, or that affect me or where we live, where we work, or some of the things that we become involved in. And so I want to talk about a few of those topics over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so this idea of sour, how many know that taste is such a unique thing, right? I mean, we all kind of, I, I mean, I realize that some of us can enjoy certain things and, and somebody else could just like loathe that, right? Like, no, I, I love the, the taste of this. And, and maybe your wife or your husband or another family member is just like, no, I, that's disgusting to me, right? Anybody have a few of those things in your life? How many know fashion 
Fashion can be one of those things, right? I'll, let me show you a couple of pictures of what some people think are good taste. Yeah, yeah. And, and others are like, oh, I love that. And most of us are kind of like, what, are you kidding? Right, maybe if that spilled over into automobiles, you might have to be a little bit older, but how about this one, right? Yeah, some people actually liked the old AMC Pacer. Can I get a good amen in the house for anybody, right? Like at some point, like there are a lot of people that did not like that vehicle, right? But, but yeah, yeah, I also, I mean, kind of strangely, there are some people that don't eat meat. How crazy is that, right? I mean, when it comes to the idea of taste, I mean, it's really kind of a big dividing line for some of us. They say that there are four primary uh, tastes that we deal with, sweet, savory, salty, and sour. I think that even when we think about taste, that, that oftentimes it conjures up kind of a, a memory or an emotion, even with our, our taste buds. I mean, sometimes if we think about some of those flavors, so if I ask you to think about something salty right now, how many know you have a go-to? You're thinking about it right now, right? You just kind of get that feeling, right? Or if I said something about, like, what's sweet? I, I don't know if any of you know this or not, but we have family that live down south, and uh, I mean, I know up here we have sweet tea, but how many know, like, once you get down south, they have sweet tea? I, it took me a few years to learn for a northerner, when you go down south, you can ask for a half and half. A half and half is our north version of sweet tea. If you go to the south and order sweet tea, it will rot your teeth right out of your mouth, like, while you are drinking it, right? I mean, it that when we hear about these tastes, it conjures up all kinds of memories for us. I, when I was a kid, there were kind of some older guys in, in our neighborhood, and, and I don't know if this was a thing at the, at the time. They used to take Mr. Kool-Aid packs. How many remember those? I, I don't, do they still have those things, right? Yeah? And they had a lemonade flavor, right? I guess that you made lemonade Kool-Aid with. And they would take a handful of that powder and, and pop it in their mouth and try not to make a face. Just because it's so bitter, so sour, that guys would be like buckling, trying not to, not to make a face of that. I will confess to you, even as an adult, I do like Sour Patch Kids, all right? Uh, you know, all right, write me some hate emails later on that, right? I, when I go on a road trip, guaranteed there's going to be a big pack of sour pack. I just like sour stuff, and it's just kind of a, a road uh, treat for me to go. But even when I think about it, right, I can just feel my taste buds. How many, do you have something, right? The minute you start thinking about it, you just kind of start like gathering saliva right away, right? I've got a boxer dog that's got like jowls like crazy. And the minute like you go to her treat bin, there is a literal pool of slobber all over our floor. Drives my wife crazy, right? Because there's this connection with taste. So over the next couple of weeks, I, I probably brought up enough food in, influence to you guys today. But we're gonna talk about what people deal with and, and what are reactions that we have to a lot of subjects that are in our world today. And maybe some of them have weathered uh, the course of time or now we are living in a world that seems to be changing culturally all the time. And some of these topics are gonna be right in the crosshairs of, of what's happening in our world today. And there are some that maybe we are constantly still struggling to figure out for us as a follower of Jesus. Like what kind of influence do they still have on our life? And, and should they have the the influence that they do. So I would imagine that over these next couple of weeks, some of you are going to love some of the topics that I'm going to address with you, and others are going to be like, oh, well, why is he talking about this, right? Like, what is who, who does he think he is? So we're going to probably make some of you happy and some of you not so much. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, all right? I'll give you the next couple of weeks lineup, all right? Maybe if that helps you. I'm just not going to tell you what week I'm going to talk about them, all right? So good luck, right? You're just going to have, you're going to have to come anyway. You're not going to know what you're going to get, right? So here's some of the things we're going to talk about. What's with all the fussing and cussing? What's with all the fussing and cussing? We're going to take that on, all right? What do, or who 
do you think you are? So I'm going to take on the idea of gender identity. I think if there's something that has really kind of crossed our culture today is this idea of people claiming who they are now. So anti-norm, and God forbid that any of us say anything to them or about what true identity is all about. I realize that there might be some sensitivity to that, that you might have family members. We hear a lot about people transitioning, right? That, that they started this way, but, but they really feel like that they're this way, and, and, and this is who they are now. And, and how does the church respond uh, to some of the genetic things that, that can happen in our human body, but what happens to more through a, a mental change process of people changing who they are. Maybe you have friends, family members, people in the workplace that are, that are touching on issues like this. And, and some of you probably have an idea, but you're wondering like, well, what's the biblical approach to something that again is kind of in the crosshairs uh, in, in our society today? We're going to talk about live and let live. So after this amazing fundamental change that just took place with Roe v. Wade, that now, obviously, we stand at a place where we were kind of on the one side, and, and now, how should we as a believer or a church respond now that hopefully, in the full amount that the tables have turned, and obviously, this, this sanctity of life, which is so important to us, that how do we now respond, right, with these changes that have taken place, and obviously, our fight for life? Can anybody say amen? Okay, you're kind of a little quiet on me here this morning, so... So we're going to have some friends share that day. We also have people that are coming from the Women's Care Center. Um, obviously, just some of the big, uh, you know, amazing change, obviously, through the Supreme Court that just took place um, on an issue such as this. We're going to talk about mind your business. We're going to talk about the power of our mind and somehow when, when we get messed up in our mind, how that that transcends into so many other areas of our life, that, that if our mind is not stable, it is not correct, it, it has a chance to refocus us or challenge us in so many other things. And so we understand and know that there is a real battle for our mind, and, and how do we keep that stayed uh, on Christ as a believer? We're going to talk about, ouch, that hurts. What happens when we deal with suffering and pain, sickness, and some of the things that uh, that we often struggle with, with answers in life. So those are a few of the topics that we're going to tackle um, over these next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I hope that you will be engaging. So I'm going to, obviously, a lot of times I kind of, my, my preferred method of sharing is to me more preaching and, and you know, kind of, so this is, uh, I, I, I like doing it this way, but it's a little different. We're going to have it a little bit more, I guess, of a teaching interactive session um, through a lot of these times. So I hope that you'll engage again. Jump on the app. You'll kind of follow along. Maybe it'll be an opportunity to take some notes as we talk about some of these issues or challenges that you're kind of looking for answers for or how do I respond when some of those things take place in our life. So, so that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Everybody got it? Yeah? Yeah? All right. So, so uh, let's talk about, we're going to talk about this first topic today about what's with all the fussing and cussing. All right? We're going to challenge that today. I heard somebody kind of question along, ago, Pastor, what about swearing or cursing in the church or for belief? Is it a sin? Well, well let's talk about just kind of this idea of, of some of the, the stronger parts of our language. Obviously, we as people, we communicate. And so we know that there are words that, that lift up and build up, but it probably doesn't take you very long. If you ever rode a school bus in your life, right? You know that at a very early age, you've learned a lot of other words that you probably haven't heard, right, in most places in your life. And it's always a challenge when you bring those words home from the bus to your mom and dad, right? Whoa, right? You realize, well, everybody is talking that way. I think for those of us, we realize that the church has created a number of taboos, right, about how we are to live our life. And I think that, that swearing uh, and, and cursing is, is one of them. If there's kind of a, a, an added list to the Ten Commandments of things that we 
that we shouldn't be doing, I would imagine that most of us, if we grew up in church, would realize that swearing or cursing were probably on that list. I, I think that I uh, grew up or lived most of my ministry time probably pretty naive. And I think partly because of the way that I grew up or maybe where I grew up or the, or the people that had influence on my life when it came to language that that I kind of feel like, well, yeah, for, for everybody that goes to church and, and everybody that loves Jesus, none of those people have, have any problem with swearing or cursing or, or saying bad words. That's kind of the way I, I felt that I grew up, that not many of us would struggle with worldly activities or certainly with, quote, worldly language. However, I'm not sure I believe that much any longer. I grew up, obviously, my mom and dad, my dad was a pastor for a long time, and, and, and I never heard my parents curse or swear my entire life. Uh, my mom kind of grew up, like, loving Jesus from, like, the, like, from the day she was born, I think. She was kind of, you know, just in love with Jesus. My dad was not. My dad didn't come to Jesus until later in his life. He worked out in the workforce. He worked jobs. And, and until he had kind of this glorious salvation experience. And, and, and in their life, um, that, that was one of the things that, again, maybe we say if it's a part of life or a struggle of life, that, that was never a part of my growing up. And so now that I, I wonder, like, where are we um, as the church today now decades later, and obviously the culture shift that has moved. Am, am I still being a prude? Am I being naive? Uh, is this kind of stuff a big deal that, that we should even take a Sunday and talk about it? About how does it fit into our everyday life? Is it really a big deal? I have a lot of people when issues like this come up tell me, pastor, they're just words. It's just words. I mean, there's really no intent. There's, there's no meaning, again, for maybe people that it's been a part of your family or a part of your life for a long, long time. They are. And maybe that's where some of that justification comes out. They're, they're just words, Pastor Jim. They just, they just kind of fly out and, and they are what they are. I've had other people, I've had some family of ours tell me that some of the words that they use and I challenge them on them and they tell me that's just farm talk. They grew up in the country, and so some of the words that they say, right, that describe certain things are, are pretty, like, you know, harsh. And they're like, that's just farm talk. That, that's just the way, we, that's the way we say it in the country. So is it all right if you grow up in the country, right, to, to use farm talk, right? I've had some people apparently tell me that, that I needed to excuse their French, that they apparently had French words that they liked to use, um, and, and they asked me if I could excuse their French, uh, although I don't know why the only French words they've learned are bad words in French. Like, like can't you learn other words right, in French? I, I think sometimes as a pastor, and I, I think one of the uniqueness, and I'm going to kind of ping pong ball around a little bit before we get into some biblical teaching, I think just to hopefully kind of for this series bring you all in. I think we all have different ideas, different perspectives of that which takes place. Um, but I know growing up, you know, certainly swear words, bad words, curse words uh, was something that was highly frowned upon in, in my growing up days. Again, just it wasn't a part of our home life. Um, and, and I remember, but, but obviously I went to public school and I was influenced by language, uh, not only by school friends, but football coaches and, and kids on the bus and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I was, I was certainly in it and, and inundated with it um, most of my life. But there were times like, you know, in church or around some things where like the lines got a little gray or got a little blurry. And I remember as a kid not knowing how to deal with that, right? There was some excitement because it was so taboo, but then there was this opportunity like, wow, like maybe it, it could be used on occasion. So at Christmas time, uh, if you remember the Christmas carol, What Child Is This? Right, the, the original version, it talked about the cow and the donkey 
But the original version had another word for donkey. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? And I remember, like, that was one of those words that had a double meaning, right? So the A word, like, we get to sing that in church? My mom would wash my mouth. That was soap if I said that word. But we get, so we're like, you know, if they're like, uh, today we're going to be taking uh, requests for Christmas carols. What child is this, please? Right? We're like, oh, it's one of those ones we get away with. Like, how, how do we get so lucky for that? When, when, when Debbie and I were in Bible school, we had this, you know, kind of really old teacher, that lady that, that talked about the, a lot of the things in the Old Testament. Um, and it, she was describing the Ark of the Covenant. How many you with me, right? And, and we were kind of reading ahead with the notes, and the, the, it was made out of a certain type of wood that was covered in gold. And you could read it uh, probably in your King James Bible anyway, but reading ahead, the wood that they used was spelled S-H-I-T-T-I-M. Okay? How many adults you kind of... You know spelling? You're okay? So I should give an explicit warning. I probably will say maybe a few words in church today that you maybe have never heard in church, all right? I'll try to be pretty gracious about that. But we're all looking ahead going, and she's kind of was this refined, like, you know, almost like this little English lady, like, you know, children, you know, like Julia Childs type. And we're all snickering because S-H-I-T-T-I-M, like, she is going to say this word in Bible school. We are going to lose our minds, right? Like we, like, we couldn't wait to get to class that day because we were going to be reading that section that talked about this particular kind of wood. And we are all in there. We're ready to go. And the Ark of the Covenant was covered in gold made from the wood. Shatim! And we were like, no, it's not Shatim. Are you kidding me? Like we had waited days for this to happen. And she just kind of threw us a curveball, right? So, I mean, is it the fact, obviously, growing up that, you know, are we prudes? Uh, you know, are we, uh, are we making a big deal out of some things that are they really a big deal? So I got some points and some things that I want to walk through some of this with you today. I think there's a lot in today's generation. I think there has definitely been a pretty massive cultural shift, certainly from the time I was growing up to the time in which we are living today. I think the, the things that happen in church, and, and again, a lot of things good, good changes, but I think a lot of things that at one time were taboo or were, were much more hardcore or maybe even preached against are not necessarily the same today like they were 30 or 40 years ago. And, and so I realize that we don't necessarily hold some of those in today's generation of Christians uh, may not hold the same value structure that, that maybe I have on these kinds of subjects. So maybe a part of this, we're just kind of determining, well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, that's easy. I'm right, all right? So whatever I say is right. So I think there has been a push in what we would term today as modern Christendom, this idea of being authentic. So when we come to the issues that, again, maybe 30 years ago were no issue because the pastor would have been very bold, very straightforward, that along with the Ten Commandments would also be very strong with these list of Christian taboo or church taboo things to say, and you can't do any of this stuff either. How many are with me? Any old timers? Nobody. I'm the only one. All right. But today we realize that a lot of shift has taken place for people wanting to be real, wanting to be authentic, that the church has been stuffy for so long, that, that we're out of touch with society or the world. And so they just want to be real and they want to challenge the taboos that, that the church has kind of propagated over a long time. And I'm not here to say that a lot of that is bad, that I think that, 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 I think that there is a better understanding that, 
that I understand some of the, the truth or at least the idea of where some of those taboos and why they existed back in the day that, that everything that I grew up, and I've, I've said this over the last years, everything that I grew up, not everything, but a lot of things that I grew up that I was told was sin was not necessarily biblical sin. And, and I realized kind of the background as to why, whether my dad or, or influential people in my life kind of helped propagate those taboos. Uh, again, about being a follower of Jesus, about the church being different, being separate from the world. And so there was really a dichotomy about what it was to be a follower of Jesus and what was worldly. And, and again, there was some subjectiveness to that for sure. And so over time, and now we live in this day and age where, again, that, that there are people that, that want to that wanna be authentic and just be real. But my challenge is, is that for some of that, due to some of these people's immaturity, I also realize and see as time has bared out that it also leads to hypocrisy as well. That people that want to be real, that want to be authentic, are really just using that as a label to get away with stuff that they really just want to do. And I think in the mix of that, for a lot of people, that's hypocritical. And I think, again, hear me out on this, that some of these areas that we might think or that you might think, Pastor Jim, really, is this a big deal? I want to say this to you. I think that there are areas like this that can become gateways to other compromising practices. And so is the question today, is some of this sin? Well, I'm going to get to that. But I also realize that I think that, that it is good for us to take on some of these topics. And again, what we were maybe be taught in the old days, maybe it wasn't necessarily sin, but I think the teaching was a good idea back then as well. So how do we apply that in the world in which we are living today? Maybe 10 years ago, there were um, kind of an online, I don't know if we would call it some kind of podcast or teaching series that, that was presented by probably eight of what at that time were today's kind of young, latest, greatest pastors. They called it the elephant room. And they gathered and they discussed topics, you know, kind of that phrase uh, uh, about the elephant in the room. So what were some of the topics that the church kind of didn't want to tackle that that didn't want to really go after, you know, maybe some of these taboos. And so these kind of young hotshots would sit in a room and challenge one another. And they were all like probably late 20s, early 30s with churches in the thousands. They were a big deal. And for a lot of years, kind of what they said really carried a lot of weight for today's generation. And I watched them, and I listened to them, and they were, they were very, you know, they, they could quote Scripture, and, and they had points, and, 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 you know, they could defend their position, and all that's taken place. That was about 10 years ago. Of that original probably eight that were there, I would say five to six of them have fallen into some type of sin, immorality, and have been removed from their churches. In the church world, it was a big deal. Now, am I saying, well, Pastor Jim, because they swore that, that they lost their ministry? No. I'm just saying that this challenge of being authentic and real, and for a lot of them, that was their platform. In fact, I don't know if I said the name to you. Mark Driscoll was a big, and he was one of the main leaders. He had a big church out in Seattle, 10,000 people multiple campuses. He was the man maybe eight or 10 years ago. He was often in, on, on the platform. Now, he did speak kind of a hard message uh, towards men in particularly, really believed in godly um, masculinity and really was, would, would throw heat and, and, and fire at, at the men in his church. But, but he became a firestorm because from the platform, he would use words like hell and damn it, um, you know, who the hell do you think you are, and just, and I'm telling you what, when he started preaching this way, I mean, it was like a lightning rod in the world. 
uh, it was also kind of a, a gateway that opened for kind of that younger generation that they were basically saying, rather than, well, you know, whatever Jesus says, but they were using, well, if Mark Driscoll can do it, hello? Well, that gets good enough for me. And, and there was kind of a rampage of, of a lot of other preachers and pastors realizing Driscoll's getting away with it. It can't be that bad. And there was just kind of this barrage of, of guys being authentic and being real. But time has a way of kind of helping us prove, is this something that we really should discuss? Are these really gateways that can lead into some of their areas of our life? I just thought it was interesting to look back at that room of superstars, hotshots, that recognized that a lot of other compromised, to be quite honest, a lot of them were hypocrites. They were kind of preaching one thing, but they were living another thing. And I think that not only does that apply for me, but that applies for all of us. Like what, what really is the basis and the backbone of our faith in Jesus Christ and, and our value in who he was? When, if we go back kind of a few years before that, I'm not sure that any of you would know the name Dr. Tony Campolo, uh, but he was a professor out of Eastern University near Philadelphia, and he was a missions, a sociology kind of uh, teacher, professor, but was a strong believer. And, and maybe five or 10 years before that was probably my first introduction to kind of this idea of language and the taboo. And, and he would preach at conferences and rallies. And, and his point, and, and he did this on purpose, but it was like the first time that, that it had ever happened. And he was preaching at large conferences and talking about the needs of, the, of, of those around the world and, and the hardship. And obviously, like our partnership with World Server, recognizing that there literally are people that do not have clean drinking water, or there are people literally that don't have food and, and all of the effort that is going on. And he was trying to charge and challenge a generation, certainly of American Christians, that for most of us have way more than we need. Hello? To, to do something. And he would rattle off a bunch of statistics about the challenge that is happening in the world. And he would talk, people that don't have clean water, and you sit all here in this church, and most of you don't give a damn. Again, this is going back like 20 years. The firestorm which continued to happen after that, he was almost removed from his position at the college. And it wasn't because what he was saying was absolutely true. It's because he used the word damn. And he was excommunicated. He was asked no longer to speak. And the point was, is that people cared more, and that kind of became his comeback mantra, is that people within the church, for the most part, were more worked up that he used the D word than about the truth and the reality of what he was speaking about. And it was a real shock, I think, that when you sat back to realize is that are we more concerned about our list of taboos than the reality of what people are going through? Some of you are probably uh, old enough to know that back in the 70s, how many remember the comedian George Carlin? And he did a whole kind of deal about seven words that you can't say on television. I'm not going to say those words today, believe me. Unfortunately, you can say most of those words on television today. There certainly has been a cultural shift in the acceptance of language in our world today. I do appreciate kind of more modern comedians like Jim Gaffigan or even Jerry Seinfeld a little bit when you hear their talk is that they kind of made a point out of their comedic presentation that they don't use bad words for the most part. They talk about that's the easy joke. That's, that's kind of the easy way out is just throwing out all these words and these wrong, that, that kind of gets everybody worked up. But they feel like, like the real work, the hard work is to do it without using those words, right? So we realize that there is a discrepancy even in the part of why do we use the words that we use? Is it for shock value? Is it to be part of the group, to be part of the crowd? I think that the influence that other people have on us have a great influence on how that uh, 
how that affects us. And no matter where you go in the world today, there is a universal sense of swearing and cussing, right? I mean, I've been to almost all four corners of the world, and guess what? People swear and people curse everywhere. And maybe one of the shocking things that I found out is that growing up in America, I thought the F word was an American thing. Can I tell you? It's a global thing. It doesn't matter what country you're in in the world, they use the F words. So what do we have to know? I, I know for me growing up that there are certain words that I think we could probably all agree on to say, yeah, pastor, that's, those are bad words. Like, what is, you know, are we going to split hairs over what are swear words? What are cursing words? What, like, how does that all fit in? And yet, I think whenever there's kind of a law, people will always find a way to kind of shade the law, right? Rules are made what? To be broken. And so I think that's the challenge. I know for me, like I said, even growing up, like I would get yelled at for using words that sounded like swear words. Hello? Like in my home, my, my mom, like if I said dang, my mom would wash my mouth out with soap because it, in her mind, was next to the other D words, right? And I, I couldn't even get, am, am I the only one? Did anybody else grow up in a Christian home in this church? Right? Like, was I the only one? If I said gosh, I could get my mouth washed out. So, because it sounded like God. And to my parents, that was like cutting the line, right? Today we say the word crap. Who says that? No, don't. Oh, you don't put your. Oh, I caught you. Christy! <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, to make her feel better, everyone else that uses it, put your hand up, all right? No, no, I was kidding again. Are you people crazy? What's wrong with you? I mean, realize when, I mean, now we, we probably all use that word, right, in a sense, but to think of the etymology, right, what, what that shift really is talking about, that most of us would never say that word like five or six years ago, but slowly, somehow, it's just kind of been accepted into the vernacular, right, of, of everybody today. And, and, and how do we relate on that? Like, and again, now we're saying, okay, Pastor Jim, you're, you're really splitting hairs here now. You're, you know, like, is there anything, do we really need word police, right, that are going to garner the language and how we do. So again, I think the issue is, do we need a system to judge the words for us to use? Or, or what do we do about language? What do we do about words? I, th I think about some people that, that work in an environment like that is always highly charged. We have a lot of guys in the church that are in law enforcement. We have guys that work in the prison system where they are seemingly surrounded by rough people. They are uh, in situations where it's like life-threatening. And, and sometimes, how does language come into play like on, in, in my work life versus my home life or my family life? And, and, and where do we find some balance in all of that and what takes place? I think if, if it boils down for me and something to share with you, and we're going to just kind of finish today, we're going to going to go through some biblical teaching here, but, but obviously to set up the, the series and then take a little bit of time to help you warm in to what we're talking about. I think if there's anything that makes the hair on the back of my neck ruffle is when people use Jesus Christ inappropriately, right? And I think the F word is another one that, again, um, I was invited on numerous occasions um, to go, when we lived in Harrisburg, to go uh, to see the Philadelphia Eagles play football. Talk about a rough environment. Listen, if you're a dad, don't ever take your, at least to Philadelphia, don't ever take your kids to a Philadelphia Eagles football game. I can tell you that. They will come out with their ears like on fire, all right? I mean, and most of it was like women behind me, right? Like, 
heaven, blah, 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 you know, like for four hours. I'm, I, I really wanted, I was afraid she would have probably punched me out, like, you know, like laid me right out, but I just kind of, like, ma'am, do you know another word that does not start with a letter F, like for four hours, right? And I listened to a couple of people talk on this subject, and, and I think that, that one of the points that was made is because originally kind of the, obviously the slang part of that represents something that God created beautiful in its implication in a, in a marriage, right? The union that we have is, is the two becoming one. And, and the world has taken that action and, and has vulgarized it. And now it has become probably the universal word of the world that, that is ultimately derogatory. And how is it that in all four corners of the world that the one name, the one name of the millions or billions of names that are on the planet does the world use to verbalize, disgust, or hurt, or hate when they improperly use the name Jesus Christ? Listen, again, I, I'm not going to kind of super spiritualize, but I think the work of the enemy, certainly to the world, and I think the challenge for you in the church is to take the things that God has held as sacred and has made it common or, or below common. And I think that there is a point, whether you agree or disagree with me, that, that, that words do matter, that they do have weight. And I, I would imagine, you know, that, for some of us in the room that, that you may use words that are cursing or swearing or whatever, and whether for you it's no big, I, I don't know that many of us, hopefully none of us, right, are using the F word regularly <laughs> or certainly abusing the name of Jesus. I mean, hopefully we honor and cherish that. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, that we recognize that. But, but what do we do when we are hit with the influence of that that's all around us. So let, let's talk about from a biblical perspective when it comes to language and what's with all the fussing and the cussing, right? That, that are we trying to, you know, be real, be authentic? You know, are we kind of taking the, these new norms to, to make Christianity or make my, make my faith, you know, flatlined across the world for all that? What does the Bible really have to say? Well, I think the first place that a lot of people will go will be to the third commandment, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So I want you to know that beyond, so a lot of us unfortunately misinterpret this verse. Not that it's standing on its own does not make sense, but most of you are probably not aware of what really the original background of this verse is all about. It really doesn't have much to do with saying the name Jesus Christ wrongly. I mean, I think we can definitely pull that in. But, but the real meaning of this verse is about authority. And what God was saying through Moses to Israel is that you can't use God's name. You can't take his name as authority for you to act or enact justice or judgment or punishment or hurt to other people. Does that make sense? So originally the command was, it is not up to you or me to use the name of God to lord over someone or to take God's authority and claim it as your own. That's really what this commandment means. You know, Jesus battled a lot of the Pharisees who were taking the name of God and misappropriating it to the people and putting them under bondage, right? Claiming the authority of God. That's what the third commandment was really all about. I think the idea for us, then blasphemy comes in. Then, then how do we use the name of Jesus or how do we misuse the name of God? And blasphemy is simply attributing the qualities of God to the devil, to, to evil, or to make that which is holy, unholy. And so I think the verbiage that we use, that, that when it comes certainly to the name of Jesus, to, to the God, and that's, I think, where my mom came back, like if, for me even to say, gosh, like she, like she wanted me not even to come close, right, of misusing the name of God. Uh, we, we talked about when, 
when Israel was, was new, fledgling, that, that they even gave the name God, right, El, um, that, that there were names that the priests would say, we don't even want you to say them. They are so holy in how they represent God that don't even say them. And, and it gives us perspective more as to the holiness of God. So obviously, there's a lot of truth that we gain from the Old Testament, but obviously the teaching for the church, we can, in the everyday sense, look to the New Testament and get some bearing and direction for, for our life today. So let me just kind of give some of that to you quickly today. So what should be the believer's conversation? So if we are in the church, if we are striving to be a Christ follower, then, then what should be the verbiage that, that should be a part of our life? So Ephesians, I think, is a big block that, that helps us. And I'm going to read a couple of verses out of that and then give you some direction or some of the meaning behind that. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and all malice not be a part of of your life. Malice is described as for us to inflict injury or harm or suffering on another, whether through a hostile impulse or deep-seated meanness. So if you are just going to barrage somebody, whether you're just going to like immediately attack someone or it's some deep-seated meanness, meanness the, the Bible talks about our conduct and our conversation with how we use words. So I think for people that tell me, Pastor, they're just words. They don't mean anything. I think I disagree with that. Because the Bible helps to give us some direction of words that we can use, words that bring life and words that bring death. And, and what is the basis, right? What is the heart of the matter in using these words? So the original words that Paul used for unwholesome talk or corrupt communication is our word putrid. So the challenge for us, Paul is saying, don't use words that are putrid. Well, what is that for you and I? What's putrid? Think things that don't sit right, right? How many of you have ever sniffed a milk container that has been in your fridge, right, for possibly way too long? Christy, don't raise your hand. <laughs> now, this is going to be different between women and men. Because initially, like in those few past date days, and guys take a whiff, guys will still drink the milk. Yes? Right? Yeah, thank you. Right? Ladies, no way. Stamp date, down the drain it goes. But I think we've all smelled milk that has spoiled. Yes? And we get that smell. That's the mind picture that Paul wants to paint to the church. Let nothing come out of your mouth that doesn't sit right, that doesn't have the right flavor in how we talk. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you take Paul's words to your meaning today. I am not going to be a word police. But I want to present you with some biblical truth that I think in maybe the challenge of living real, living authentic, that, that are we just kind of taking license just to get away with some stuff. Where Paul, I think, is challenging, listen, I think we're, we have this kind of acceptable thing that it just doesn't sit well. So is that really what you need? And I think we have to take it into the bigger context. Maybe we include sarcasm or bad jokes, right? Language or innuendos that, that can be taken multiple ways. I think Paul is saying, listen, for those of us in the church, this really shouldn't be a part of our conversation. And so then he goes a little bit deeper in the next chapter in Ephesians chapter 5 about our conduct. How do we conduct ourselves um, around people in stressful situations, in challenging times? He goes on to say, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. The word he uses there is our word, ugly. So Paul is basically saying to the church, don't use ugly words. So again, I'm not going to be the word police today, but I, hopefully we're all kind of smart enough to know 
Like, what kind of standard that me being a Christ follower, like, is an, is an ugly word? Is, is probably something that I, I shouldn't have as a part of my normal conversation. He goes on to talk about this coarse joking. The, the word is almost like sandpaper, that, that, that this rubbing, it just, when you hear things or you say, it just rubs you the wrong way. I know for me, in the light of a believer that says something to me about using the wrong words, it, it is like sandpaper to me. But it's different for people that don't know Jesus because they they're not held to this standard. I bike with a bunch of guys almost every morning, and most of them don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And they use a lot of foul language, and it's kind of interesting. They know I pastor a church, and soon as they'll say it, they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I think it's quite intriguing that they're not afraid to use it, but they're quick to ask forgiveness for using it. So somehow there's this sense, right, about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, right, in the settings. And I think that's what Paul is saying, that as a believer— Right? I, I had one guy, at a, not, not here, but, but was an unbeliever that came to church and, and you know, it was kind of one of my more fiery messages, I guess, or, you know, I'm kind of up there, whatever. And, and I walked out the door and he was like, hell of a, hell of a message, pastor. Like, wow. And I, like, we were in church, so I was kind of like, whoa, well, that threw me. But then I realized he didn't know Jesus, right? And so I can't expect him to know the rules of taboo. And I don't know to say that you take it as a compliment, but, but I mean, he was, I think to say that he was being real, he was being real for what he knew in the moment. So we realize that we come across different people in different circumstances, and Paul is trying to help this church, and what I want to give to you is, so what's our take in all of this? So the main point of Ephesians is this, is that Paul was calling them to live in the light and no longer in the darkness. So I think my point for us today is that I think that that's the point for you and I. I mean, Paul taught in other places that, listen, everything can be acceptable, but not everything is profitable. Hello? And what Paul's words to the Ephesians is, I'm not trying to be a word policeman to you, but I am here to remind you that you used to live in darkness, but God has called you to live in the light. So my challenge to you is live in the light. Be different. Change. If that's the way you used to eat in your unsaved days, don't eat that way in your saved days. If that's the way you used to talk in your old days, don't talk like that in your new ways. If that's what you used to drink in your old days, then don't drink that way in your new days. That's the point of Ephesians. Paul wasn't picking apart your life or going down through the checklist of like things that I want to do, things that I can't do. Paul was just simply throwing the blanket out there to say, hey, at one point in your life, you were lost. You were in darkness. You were, you were being fed by evil. But now God, through his great love for you, has brought you into his glorious light. And with that, we realize that you live in light differently than you live in darkness. And so my challenge to you in our series and on some of these things that you're going to maybe like me or not like me, you're going to agree with me or not agree with me. I'm not here to, to police you or boss that over you. I'm simply here to tell you that I hope that you are living a life of what you used to be, but the power of Jesus Christ has been transforming you and changing you, and you want to walk away from what used to be your old life, and you want to cling to what now is a new life in Christ for you. Listen, that's my heart, and my prayer is, is that you will pray about that in your heart and in your life. He goes on in Ephesians 5 verse 8, for you were once, past tense, you were once darkness, but now, everybody say now, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light, for all the fruit of of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of your life should be based on it being filled with the light of the gospel. 
So does sanctification, does this process of us coming out of darkness into light, does it include our mouth? Do we stop swearing when we become a believer? Let me give you three verses and then I'm done for today. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Make a good tree and its fruit will be good or make a bad tree and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the mouth speaks what your heart is full of. Verse 35, Matthew chapter 12. A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up within him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. So I want you to parallel what Jesus was talking about to what Paul was encouraging the church. Listen, you used to be this, but now, right? There is a transformation. But I tell you that anyone will have to give an account. Everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Let me give you one more. James chapter 3. For the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse our brother, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, Come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. So again, maybe your defense is, well, pastor, it's just words. Well, it's just French. Pardon my French. Or I only do it when I hit my thumb with the hammer. The reason why it comes out of your mouth is because it's in your heart. So I'm not saying, again, is it sin? Is it right? Is it wrong? It's just that it's fruit. And I would challenge the words of the believer today that what truly is the world seeing by the fruit that we are displaying? James chapter 3 says, again, brothers and sisters, this should not be. Colossians chapter 3, again, Paul encouraged that church to get away from their former life. And I think that's the point. Josh, can you come help me? I think that's the point as we look through some of these series. Are they going to be necessarily black and white? Listen, the way I grew up in my spirit, in my heart, it's a black and white issue for me, but I'm not here to say that to you. I guess some of you are asking, pastor, answer the question, is swearing a sin? I think according to the Bible, no. It doesn't call it to be a biblical sin, like, like it orchestrates other things. I think, is it a lifestyle or a character issue? In fact, I would say to those of you that have leadership, certainly in the church, but if you have a leadership position at your job or whatever, that words are powerful. And I would challenge you as a leader to step up, not stoop over. Let the words of my mouth, the psalmist said, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, my strength, my Lord, my Savior, and my Redeemer. So I'm going to leave it with you today to recognize, is this an area that sometimes gets me? Is it something that maybe I've never been challenged on? Maybe some of you have never thought about it. It's never been talked about in church. So welcome to this sour subject on week number one. It's only going to get better from here. And if you were offended by me today, I can't wait to have you back next Sunday. Right? I appreciate your consideration and your attentiveness as we talk about some of these issues that, again, for the believer and for the church, that we realize that our culture is continuing to shift. But I want you to know that the Bible brings strength and foundation in the midst of shifting sand. And I hope that you and I will rise to the occasion. I hope that you and I will live lives that are pleasing for everything that God has done for us. And if it's been a problem 
I challenge you to let it be less of a problem. And if it's not been a problem, I'm not asking you to be a word police to other people. That we just pray for one another, that that our lifestyle, that our words and our actions are in perfect harmony with one another. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that uh, as we have this summer opportunity to talk about some issues and subjects that at times are challenging, that, that maybe for some we don't think that they're a big deal and, and we wonder how big of a deal that they are. But God, more than anything else, I, I know that you are calling us, continuing to call us in, in so many areas of our life to come out of darkness and to come into your marvelous light, to be grateful for what you have done for us and to live that kind of life. And so for those that might struggle with some of these areas, that they let their light shine in a, in a much brighter pattern because we know that we represent you, that we do wear the label of being a follower of Jesus, and that is truly significant. So I pray in small areas and all the way to the big areas that we have a desire to please you. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart truly be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. I pray this over our church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for finding real life with us. I trust that you'll go and take these words and let them be a blessing in your life and to others as well. Have a great day, everybody. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.